circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, All right, Miu Yam, Miu Yam Cho Onam, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin. This is Occupied Ohlone Territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. And this week on Full Circle, we keep our eyes on Palestine on tonight's show. We'll hear from Palestinian-American and activist Layla Darwish as she reflects on the past couple weeks in the news in Palestine. We'll also hear from the Minister of Information, J.R., as he speaks with former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney, and she speaks about her experiences in Gaza and how she sees the current devastation happening in Palestine. And we'll also feature some music from Palestine and supporters all that tonight on Full Circle. I'm your host tonight, Natung Frank Sterling Jr. Yaka, coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is occupied Bay Miwok territory, home of the Julpen and Open people. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. Again, Namokium to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. I am your host tonight, Natung Frank Sterling Jr. Yaka. Um, and that song you just heard was Hey, Hey, Ya Palestine. And that was by Rola Azar. And I was turned on to that song by my special guest, my new co-host who's been with us for the last month. 
and that is Layla Darwish. Uh, welcome back to Full Circle, Layla. Thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure. And again, um, I think kind of what we've been doing is just um, getting your sense on what's been happening and checking in on what's going on um, in your world, in your mind, being connected closely to Gaza and to Palestine. And uh, as we've been watching the news over the holidays, quote unquote, the the death toll has continued to rise. There's been a number of brutal attacks that are ongoing. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm a broken record asking you this, but, you know, how are you feeling after the holidays? I can just imagine that it's still um, a terrible feeling. But where are you at uh, today? Well, again, um, I the same as you, I feel like a broken record. It's it's really an interesting situation that I've never had to deal with like this before. It's an ongoing grieving process. And when you're grieving, you go through several different stages. You even find pockets of uh, joy. And then the minute you get those po- those feelings of joy, you just suddenly feel a sense of guilt and like you shouldn't be happy or you shouldn't try to go about your life and and live normally because you can't you know any human being with a conscience that sees what's happening in Palestine I'm sure feels the same way but as a Palestinian I feel like it's my duty to do everything and anything I can to spread awareness and to educate people about what's happening in Palestine and especially in in Gaza um Sometimes I find myself in the middle of commuting. Uh, I'm, I just see myself there in Gaza. And I imagine that those faces that I see are my own children. I don't have any children, but I really see that. What if I was a parent and I suddenly discovered that I survived and I lost my child and I'm collecting their limbs? What if I am the child and I saw that that was my parents? underneath the rubble and I'm trying to collect their body parts and then you go through this shock and almost like a panic and you're having like a mini panic attack just while commuting and and this happens to me all the time it happened to me yesterday and you know I don't even know what to do about it and the only way I could feel like I could heal through this process is by taking action is by doing what I'm doing now. And um, that's how it's been. It's It's been like this for the last, since October 7th. And again, um, just for the listener's sense here, you are down in the KFCF area down there in Fresno. And you mentioned like something that you feel like you can do is to take some sort of action where you are. Talk about um, what you've been doing out there in Fresno and how the community has come out, the Palestinian community supporters, and um, what are some of the things you've been doing out there in Fresno to help keep what's happening, you know, front and center on the minds of our public out here in the United States? Yeah, so I am the founder of Palestine Freedom Project. I started Palestine Freedom Project as a student organization um, in Fresno State. And then, of course, I continued it on to the community. And so now we have members um, of Palestine Freedom Project and community members at large who are have been very supportive of our cause. And 
We do have a president. Yasser is the president of Palestine Freedom Project, and I'm the chairman. What we've been doing is organizing protests twice a week. Uh, we've been hanging up banners over overpasses, over freeways. Some of those pictures and videos that we shared have gone viral. And, you know, Fresno is like a big, small city. It's it's one of the largest in California, but it still has a country vibe. So it's really interesting and it's it's something special when we get when we say we put Fresno on the map and it, especially when it comes to Palestine. So I'm very proud of that. We've also raised seven Palestinian flags. Um, again, this is more of a conservative area, you know, the Central Valley. It, it's more of a conservative region. So the fact that we were able, with the help of our community, with the help of uh, council member Miguel Arias, we were able to expedite and raise seven Palestinian flags. And this was such a historic moment um, because for many Palestinians, they felt that they didn't have an identity. Many haven't even been to Palestine before because they were born as refugees or descendants of families of refugees. And so it was an emotional moment uh, for many people. We've also, last night, we uh, organized a film screening, Born in Gaza, at Woodwork Park Library. We had some girls organize that. Um, Bayan, Janan, Leanne, Sarah, they did a very good job. And we plan on doing more of those actions. And we also had a car parade caravan that we did that went really well. So it's been pretty successful. We, we, we have a lot of support. And of course, there's some people that, you know, they have their minds made up here. This is the Central Valley after all. I'm just curious, you know, I scroll through my Facebook here and there, check out other social media. And to me, it feels like a lot of people in the United States are just continuing on with their their daily process. They're not really concerned what's going on in Palestine. Sure, it's terrible, um, but it doesn't really affect them here at home in the immediate sense. You know, we've seen this, I feel like, through all foreign military interventions that the United States um, either um, does on their own, you know, or um, participates in, supplies weapons to, I'm thinking uh, Saudi Arabia, the United um, Arab Emirates, and Yemen, and uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. You can go through the whole list. You know, what do you think it's going to take? Or in the same sense, why do you think people aren't really engaging with this, seeing the atrocities and speaking up, um, what is it going to take for the masses of the United States to be like, what the heck is going on here and why are we as United States contributing to this? So how do you see this kind of mental blindness and what could we do to break through this? I think people here in America need to realize that what's happening in Palestine is affecting them here even to a local level. Some politicians, like there's been some politicians here locally uh, denying that that this has anything to do with us, but it does. It impacts us through our taxes. We can utilize those taxes to fix our infrastructure, to give us better health care, better education, and much more. And so um, that's another thing that Palestine Freedom Project has been working on is we've been focusing on... Uh, having meet and greets with the community and the candidates that we want to represent us. We have uh, 
a candidate. He's running for councilman, Matthew Gillian. He's been to almost every protest, front and center, chanting free Palestine. Um, we're, we're really endorsing him and helping him um, and, and wanting people to meet him and get to know him. He's such a great guy in so many different ways. We've also, um, I just got news that even um, from the Republican Party, Nick Richardson, he was, he got called, the Republican Central Committee took back their endorsement of him because he supported us. Uh, just because we've invited him over to do a meet and greet with community members. Um, because they said that there was a scary, quote unquote, a scary flag in the meeting. And um, that's probably one of the reasons they removed, they, they, they basically stopped endorsing him because of that, just because he was meeting with community members. This is what a candidate is supposed to do. Anyone that's running is supposed to meet everyone in their community because they're supposed to resent, represent each and every one of us, the Sikh community, the Hmong community, the Latino community, and the Palestinian Arab Muslim community. And so um, that's, to answer your question, the people have to recognize that this is our money going to a foreign country, a foreign illegal apartheid state to massacre and mow down my people in Palestine, innocent civilians who have every right to defend themselves under international law and every right to defend themselves with arms. That's what it's gonna take to get people. And just having a conversation, a dialogue, you know, I love to sit with people. I, I sat with um, Councilwoman um, Annalisa Perea. We had a great dialogue and discussion. And I love it when they admit and they say, look, I'm ignorant to the situation. I want to know more. I want to pe meet people like you. And those are the people I want to help endorse locally. I think it's so important to have those open dialogues, those meetings and um in order to get people to wake up and see what's actually happening and how it affects Americans here. And speaking of the money side, as far as going back in history, um, the average per year to the military, um, uh, to the Israeli government, mostly in the form of military aid, weapons, ammunition, um, tanks, airplanes, that comes to about 3.3, 3.5 billion dollars per year for decades not to mention um since uh october the the boost the hundred million um more uh billions 14.5 billion it's it could be used here at home and as we see in our streets here at the house um here in the united states we have an epidemic of homelessness I'm here with you in California, and as we have seen in a recent report, one-third of the whole United States homeless community is in California. And I'm here in Contra Costa County personally, and we have the highest rate of uh, unhoused folks in the county here in Antioch. So that money could be well spent on housing and other economic stuff to take care of our own people um, here at home. Well, let's talk about uh, journalists, because um, I'm here trying to speak to you, reporting on what's going on. Um, I think it was uh, Wednesday this week here in San Francisco. Um, 
a number of journalist organizations, including um, the one I'm part of, the Communication Workers of America, um, spoke out at a rally in San Francisco talking about all the journalists that have uh, been killed, attacked, targeted, um, arrested, beaten. Again, this is not new. They've been doing this um, for decades, but it has certainly stepped up in these last few days. Tell me how you see the the murder and the killing of these journalists who are helping share the stories, who are showing you, showing us uh, the catastrophes, showing us the killing. Um, how do you see this uh, the taking out of the journalists. It's deliberate. Israel is doing that deliberately to silence us. And what's interesting is how do they figure that doing that will silence us when everybody has a phone at the palm of their hands, but they're doing it to the most prominent journalists. You know, one of the most, the, the recent journalists who was killed uh, Samer Eldaka, he has family here in Fresno. You know, we're all connected. Palestine is a small country. We're all connected and related in some way. And it's a deliberate act of silencing us. These people are heroes. If it wasn't for them, this is the first time we get to see what's actually happening on the ground because of these people, these heroic journalists who are putting their lives on the front line and are getting killed. It is absolute, it's an absolute genocide. It has to stop, it must stop. They're doing this, Israel is doing this out in the open. They have no shame. And you know what? America, the American government needs to be held accountable because they're allowing this to happen by sending millions of dollars to Israel. Uh, definitely, and not just in the form of money, but um, resupplying their ammunition, their tank rounds, which have been responsible for killing hundreds of people. And yes, the deliberate targeting of journalists has definitely spiked recently. And we've seen even before October um, 7th that they killed uh, Shireen. Can you help me with her name? Shireena Blackla. She was, a, she, was, she was someone that I knew personally. And not only did they kill her and then not take responsibility for it and never, nothing never happened to them, um, they attacked her funeral procession as they tried to bury her. Yeah. I know we've talked about it numerous times about the relation between what's happening in Palestine and what happened to uh, Native Americans here in the United States. A lot of anniversaries are happening right now here in the United States. There was a big uh, horse ride uh, to Wounded Knee to recognize the 300 people that were slaughtered in December of 1890. The massacre at Wounded Knee where 300 men, women, and children um, were slaughtered and then buried in a mass grave. Then we also have December 26, 1862, when 38 Dakota men were hanged by the neck to death uh, by President Lincoln. So this is a country founded on genocide and slavery in the United States. And we could see by these anniversaries how they slaughtered Native Americans and what they're doing in Palestine at the same time. How, how do you see these connections of settler colonialism and you know how they systematically take us out and then try to replace us with their settlements or their housing and bring in more in 
Palestine's case, um, Jewish people to live in the settlements. Right. It's like when you bring somebody from Wiley, Texas, and they have a birthright to live in Palestine, and they they have no brown in their skin. It's even illegal in Israel to get a DNA test for those reasons, because they know that much of those people that are from Europe and Brooklyn and Texas and wherever have no connection to the land. Meanwhile, my ancestors come from Palestine and I don't even have, I can't even have a citizenship. I can't live in Palestine. You know, there's probably some folks that will say, well, if you don't like America after what I said about the taxes, then go back to your country. Well, I can't. We're not allowed. Many of us are not allowed to live there. And many Palestinians get forced back to go back to wherever they, they're living in diaspora now. The parallels between Native Americans and Palestinians are uncanny. You know how you mentioned the mass graves uh, buried underneath parks? I've been to many of those mass graves uh, in Palestine, all throughout Palestine, even in Jerusalem. I visited Emwes. Emwes is the same. It's like the same story as the Deir Yassin massacre. You go there and you're basically walking on mass graves and you could see, you know, me like Palestinians and Native Americans, we really we love our land and we're really in tune with our our trees and our, you know, agriculture. You could see where the trees were and you know that this was the doorway to a Palestinian home. Some of those trees are still there. You could see some um some old rubble from the old houses that, that used to be there. You could see kind of like the blueprints on the ground. There are still cemeteries. And then you know that those people in Amwes are settled in a refugee camp in, uh, you know, Kalandia. And uh, even when I went to uh, Yaffa and I was watching the beautiful Mediterranean waves crash onto the shore, not knowing that I was sitting on a hill that was a mass grave of a village there. And and they build parks. You know, the one in Amwes is called Canada Park, where it's funded by Zionists in Canada. And everywhere where you see pine trees in, you know, occupied Palestine, you know that that's a park where there are mass Palestinians buried underneath there. And this is all throughout Palestine, all throughout, from, from the 48 to 67. Again, that's the voice of my special guest, Palestinian-American Layla Darwish. Um, remind me of the organization you founded? Palestine Freedom Project. Yes, and she's the um, the chairwoman of the Palestine Freedom Project down in Fresno, KFCF land. Uh, hello to you all out there. Um, well, we're just about to run out of time, Layla, for today. We're going to go out with a song after this. But, um, you know, what are you looking to for the, you know, the immediate future? Do you have any actions or plans lined up down in Fresno? How could the folks uh, listening down there on KFCF connect with your movement and your actions? Our next action will be Saturday at 3 p.m. on Blackstone and Nice. We will be protesting. We want a thousand more people to show up. And we are also encouraging, I encourage everyone to go speak at City Hall, at the City Council meetings. People need to know, we need different messengers to speak on behalf of Palestine. Um, I encourage, the next uh, City Council meeting is January 11th. 
Um, and we're working on all kinds of actions. We've hung ornaments on Christmas trees of martyrs with local community members, Samai and Linda. I'm going to give a shout out to them. Um, they put all their hard work cutting those ornaments and laminating them. We're doing many types of actions. And you could connect with me on Instagram, Layla D00. You can find me on Facebook, Layla Darwish. And you could also find Palestine Freedom Project on Facebook. I had a very successful Palestine Freedom Project group on Instagram. And they banned me for seven years, roughly seven years. Completely banned my devices, my IP address. And so we also have a Fresno for Palestine on Instagram as well. And we're affiliated together. It's basically the same group under a different name because of Palestine Freedom Project being completely banned. And that's uh, one way you could connect with me or several ways. Yeah. Several ways, definitely. And that's how I actually connected with Layla through uh, Facebook. And um, I appreciate you always taking the time. Um, and I'll keep you keep you here and keep you close. So when we uh, work through this, you know, and keep up the, um, the fight, we can bring you back um, regularly to keep us posted. Well, again, Layla Darwish, um, thank you very much for taking this time. And for all you listening out there, I will post uh, her links and her information on our website in case you missed it. And that's kpfaapprentice.org. You could also find us on Facebook as well under First Voice Media on Facebook. Again, Layla, thanks for joining us again here on Full Circle we appreciate the work that you're doing down there in Fresno. I hope people uh, listening on KFCF will connect with you. And we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us here on KPFA. Thank you for having me and free, free Palestine. Yes. All right, again, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM and KPFA.org. I'm your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin. And you just heard our first interview of the night with Layla Darwish. She is a Palestinian-American and an activist down in the Fresno area. She is also the founder and the chairwoman of the Palestinian, of the Palestine Freedom Project. She spoke with us earlier today. Again, I will post all the links to her social media on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. It will also be available on the First Voice Media Facebook page where you will find a link to tonight's show just after the show. Um, we're going to take another music break right now. This is Palestine Will Never Die by Loki featuring my Khalil. When we return, we'll hear from the Minister of Information, J.R., as he speaks with former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney and her experiences traveling to Gaza and fighting for the rights of the Palestinian people. وقفت طفل والحجارة أكوام وعيناه عزمة وصمود وعيناه عزمة وصمود
the start Can't get the image out of my heart When we've seen the bodies found in a mountain of parts Netanyahu told you just another child of the dark Clear it's gonna take much more than thousands to march More than a speech, more than a poem More than a track of music Gonna take more than a sit down with Basim Yusuf Even bringing back ambassadors is an act that's useless Long as you pump oil for Apaches and the tanks they use in freedom just beyond reach For people you cannot see He's wheezing and cannot breathe And screaming through the concrete Looking for his four children The bombs leave structures that I wouldn't want to call buildings My fingers pointed at this government You all killed him Tell me that you wouldn't take up arms if those were your children Let me make the fact clear Those bombs were manufactured here And they want the land as theirs because of natural gas in there Feel death in the atmosphere While we hapless stand and stare And a little boy begs for his brother's strand of hair Truth is I don't know how anyone can live After digging for their dead kids buried under bricks Israel is a terror state Terrorists that terrorise I testify my television televised I'm telling lies This is not a war It is systematic genocide But whatever they try Palestine will never die They're not prepared to face the pain So they're scared to say your name They're not prepared to face the pain So they're scared to say your name They're not prepared to face the pain So they're scared to say your name they're not prepared to face the pain, so they're scared to say your name. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. From the river to the sea, free, 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 free. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. From the river to the sea, This is the Minister of Information, J.R., with the Ministry of Information. Today, our guest is the international peace activist, professor, world-renowned author, former presidential candidate, and former Georgia Congresswoman, Cynthia McKinney. How are you? I'm doing great, J.R. It's been way too long since we last got together. No doubt, no doubt. About a decade ago, you were involved in breaking the genocidal embargo that the settler colonial nation Israel had put on the Palestinians. Can you remind the people what happened? My Gaza saga started actually uh, shortly after Christmas, and Israel had just launched Operation Cast Lead, and some people who have now become my dear friends contacted me on the phone and said, Cynthia, you want to go to Gaza because the bombs were dropping. And everyone, at least in my circle of everyone, the unbrainwashed, were outraged at what was happening. And so we all understood the role of the United States in providing white phosphorus, the F-16s, the helicopter gunships, everything that was being used against the Palestinian people was provided by the United States. And so this war was actually a war by the U.S. taxpayers as partners in the bombing and the killing and the maiming and the shooting of Palestinian people. So I got this phone call that asked me, do you want to go to Gaza? And I said, yes. 
The very next day, I was on a plane headed to Gaza. And uh, we went to, well, first of all, we went to Cyprus to get on the boat to go to Gaza. Well, that didn't work out too well. The Israelis rammed our boat and prevented us from actually arriving at our destination. So then I uh, decided that the next time we had the opportunity to do it again, that I would get back on a boat and try to get to Gaza. So a few months later, it was the Free Gaza Movement, called me up and said, Cynthia, you want to try again? I said, okay, absolutely. Get on a plane, go to Cyprus, get on the boat. And what happens? The Israelis kidnapped us and put me in prison, put the, all of us in prison for seven days. So I languished in an Israeli prison for seven days. And I still didn't get to Gaza. So then, witnessing all of this, George Galloway contacted me, who at that time had been kicked out of the parliament over in the UK because of his anti-war stance against uh, the U.S. Uh, and the U.K. war against Iraq. And so George Galloway contacted me and said, Cynthia, I can get you into Gaza. So I hopped back on a plane again and went to Cairo. And we weren't going by sea. Israel basically had blockaded Gaza in terms of its territorial waters. And we relied on What's been in the news lately, the Rafa crossing, which is the way that Palestinians enter and exit Gaza by way of Egypt. Well, we finally were given the permission to go for 24 hours, and then I actually got a chance to go inside Gaza. By the time I actually made it to Gaza, Gaza was nothing but rubble. It had been completely leveled, very much the same way that you see in the news now, the buildings all basically bombed out with people in them. And the bombing, the runs were over and over and over again, hitting the same targets and making sure that as many people as possible were actually killed. What do you think about what has happened in the aftermath of October 7th? And what are your thoughts when you're looking at Israel commit genocide on Palestinians on television with impunity? Well, what are some of the lessons that we can draw from the events of October 7th? First of all, I do note with some interest that Bibi Netanyahu's first words were that this is our September 11th. And we know that September 11th was merely an excuse 
a very visible excuse for the United States to go and make war in uh, West Asia and in North Africa. And as a result of the events of September 11th, which were not an accident, let's make that very clear, but it was a starting point for the unleashing of the U.S. war machine, carpet bombing of Iraq, the overthrow. So you had regime change in Iraq that would never have happened otherwise. The United States also got the opportunity to test some of its weapons, its new technologies like Operation Crimson Mist, which I think is something that should be of interest using frequencies to dial in hatred, to dial in anger, to dial in murderous behavior, Operation Crimson Mist. All of this was a part of what was unleashed by the United States after September 11th. So now we look and we see that October 7th allowed Israel to unleash the same kind of lethality, and the United States, of course, has transferred bunker buster weapons over there, bunker buster bombs, which I don't know the amount of damage that can be done to the tunnel system, but certainly were created with the idea of hitting those underground uh, resources of the other side. And so we can only imagine that the Israelis are actually using everything that the United States has transferred to them. The lethality, you've got tens of thousands of innocent Palestinians dead. You've got children. Of course, we know that the Israelis have always targeted the children of Palestine with headshots, and now they, they really don't care about civilian casualties. They don't care at all about anything. Their idea is to implement another transfer agreement, very similar to the transfer, except that it's, well, I shouldn't say the objective would be similar of the transfer agreement of the 1930s when Jews in Germany were able to transfer their wealth and their resources directly to Palestine as a result of a policy that was put in place under Hitler's Germany. And so the idea was to allow this community to transfer its wealth and its people into Palestine. So now the objective is for Israel is to transfer the Palestinian people in both the West Bank and in Gaza to Jordan and to Egypt. And in fact, the Israelis have even asked Egypt to take the Palestinians that now live in Gaza to take them. And I have seen real estate development plans for beachfront, the, the development of beachfront properties by the Israelis in Gaza. So 
the plans have already been drawn up. We know that they will do that. They will not only have beachfront properties on the Mediterranean, but they will also have access to Gaza's natural gas resources that are within now the territorial waters of Gaza, of Palestine. So basically, when Netanyahu went to the United Nations General Assembly in September and he showed a map that did not have Palestine on it, we can say that the Israeli intention is to wipe Palestine off the map, and that's what they're doing. Can you talk a little bit about the plans to create a rival to Egypt's Suez Canal that's supposed to travel right through Gaza? Yes. Um, now, this uh, I haven't read that much about this, but of course, there, you know, there's pipeline of sand, right? So you've got all of these different pipelines, and the, uh, the objective is for the United States to maintain the oil and natural gas uh, monopoly that it has now. Of course, the petrodollar is a kind of monopoly, and we see the eroding of the world's reserve currency, the petrodollar, but access to and control over those natural resources for the purpose of the use of the United States, but more importantly, for the continued subjugation of Western Europe to U.S. interests. So Western Europe, as we all know, will freeze if they don't have sufficient amount of heating capacity. Uh, The economies will grind to a halt if they don't have sufficient generation of power and electricity. So they are the dependent ones, and the United States wants to keep Europe dependent, and the United States will maintain its sovereignty over Western Europe and its control over the policies of Western Europe. And we have seen Western Europeans being willing to commit basic suicide of their economies in order to satisfy the diktat of the U.S. Well, it's not really the diktat of the U.S. It's the diktat of those who control the U.S., and that's not even the people of the U.S. Those who control the U.S. are the international banksters who basically uh, control the printing of the U.S. dollar. So we've got all of this uh, in play right now, and we've got the very real challenge from Russia and China and BRICS as a part of the push toward multipolarism as a, as a way to rid ourselves of the unipolarism of the United States. Well, that's what so I'm, well, with that in mind, what you have then are these various different um, – so Afghanistan was supposed to be, it was supposed to go from India to Afghanistan. And India has played like a pivotal role here because the question is, whose side is India on? India has always sort of been a representative of the anti-colonial path. And India is a founding member of the Nunaline movement represents this this path that looked away from 
the hegemon or the hegemonic countries of the West and, and the United States. Well, now under Modi, India is sort of pivotal and India has, has signed three military agreements with the United States, which is unheard of. It's, un, you know, it's like unprecedented. So you've got the natural resources looking for a way that are not in Western Europe, that are looking for a way to get from where they are, which is in Asia, Central, Central Asia, into Western Europe. And the United States wants to control that. Israel also wants to control that. And so you've got Israel occupying the Golan Heights in Syria, and you've got the Rothschilds and uh, what's the name of the, the energy company that has already given out leases to uh, develop the resources in the Golan Heights, but Syria is going to get those back. You've got the water resources that Israel is stealing from its neighbor states, and I do believe that those neighboring states, Jordan and Lebanon, will be able to get that back. Lebanon is already in a state of war with Libya, with um, uh, Israel, Israel, based on the the war uh, before, and Israel is occupying, I think those are the Shaba farms in Lebanon. So you see, you could look at what Israel is doing is like Israel is saying, okay, we need Lebanon's realm. We need living space. We need room. But that's nothing more than the original Greater Israel Project. This is what we're seeing, Israel spreading out, sucking up all of the resources and the business associated with those resources. And then the hegemon for Europe will not be the Europeans, it will be Israel. And the United States is facilitating that change. How do you see what's going on in the Sahel after the assassination of Gaddafi? We're seeing what's going on with Mali, Burkina Faso, and there's two other nations that are going against ECOWAS in the United States and France, as well as you have the Ukraine war that has a number of European nations and others engaged. How do you see those two major conflicts relating to what's going on in Israel and Palestine? There's no secret that the United States, certain uh, interests inside the United States, very actively pursuing a policy of balkanizing Russia. The idea is that Russia is too wealthy, has too many resources, is too big, and um, Putin has actually given great voice to this, that certain interests within the West would like to colonize Russia. So what we're witnessing is a decolonizing process. So that that requires a kind of awakening in terms of your mindset. You have to understand what the objective of the other side is. You have to know who your enemy is, and you got to know who you are. So uh, Sun Tzu said, know thyself and know thy enemy, and a thousand battles can be won. And so our sort of necessity is to know who 
is actually moving behind the scenes, behind the curtains, in the shadows to understand who actually is moving these chess pieces around. I heard someone say the other day that really they're not playing chess, they're playing bridge. Well, I'm not a bridge player, so I don't know, you know, about strategy when it comes to playing bridge. But clearly there are some forces that are interested in controlling the world. And if this pack over here doesn't work or it's run its course and now you need some new arguments in order to convince the people to follow you, then I think that's what we're seeing now. And on the other hand, what we are also witnessing is this messy decolonizing. So you could say Western Africa should have been decolonized a long time ago. The French should have been kicked out a long time ago. And it's only now, and you have to look at the leaders like Ibrahim Traore and say, oh my goodness, during the 1960s and 70s, we had that kind of leadership, not just on the African continent, we also had it in the United States. Of course, what was the response of the United States government to that kind of leadership was to kill them and to destroy the communities associated with that kind of leadership. So they would never rise again to challenge the hegemony over our own communities that exist. And the same thing now is happening. When Paris was burning for three days, I don't know if you remember, Pourquoi Paris Brule? Well, I went to Paris because I saw this as a statement of those people. What is I think it was Dr. King that said so-called riots at that time. Yep. Riots are the voice of the, the, voiceless. Of the voiceless. Yep. Yeah. And so the the Africans, France, colonialism completely destroyed their, their countries. And then they went to France and they were treated badly, horribly. And so they basically were saying, we've had enough. And now you've seen that in West Africa with Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Guinea, and the United States wants to call these countries victims of coups. But these countries, these are the cries for self-determination and independence and freedom and dignity. And so let's not be tricked or fooled by the language of these who would continue the oppressions all over the world. These are the behaviors and actions in the fight for freedom. And it's, I'm so happy that it's happening on the African continent. Now, there's something else that's happening in Ukraine that I think we should at least pay some attention to. Uh And that is, if you look at what did the United States do to Ukraine in 2014? The United States did a regime change in Ukraine. Ukraine is a majority Orthodox Christian country. And the United States did a regime change and basically put Jews in control of an Orthodox Christian country. Now, why does that matter? It matters because the majority of the people of Ukraine are not Jewish. But every 
aspect of their leadership after the regime change was Jewish. Now, let's look at Russia. Russia is an Orthodox Christian country. Russia also has significant Muslim population. And what we can see today with the special military operation that's going on in Ukraine, carried out by Russia, is that the Chechens, who are Muslims, are fighting alongside the Orthodox Christians in Ukraine. So on the one hand, if you, you, you can look at it sort of geostrategically, but you also have to look at this as a kind of cultural thing that's going on as well. And so when Zelensky said that Ukraine was going to become big Israel, that's when I paid attention to just exactly, is there another dynamic here that is occurring? And so big Israel, little Israel is failing. And I guess that's west, the westernmost part of Asia. Little Israel is failing. So maybe little Israel needs big Israel. Mm. So you basically, now, you're hinting at there's, there's basically another Israel type situation being created in a very similar way. Is that what you're hinting at? Well, I'm only understanding the words of Zelensky. Because Zelensky is the one who said it that Ukraine would be big Israel. And if you know the history of Zionism, you know that most of the Zionists, the biggest Zionists back in the 1800s, well, where were they? They were in Ukraine. Right. So there is something else possibly going on here. And we don't need to be so blind or so afraid or so cowardly that we can't see the totality of the circumstances that are sort of um, at play in Ukraine. So you've got the Orthodox Christians in alliance with the Muslims in Russia. And now on the other side, you've got whatever the Christian world is with the Vatican, I guess, and the Protestants on the other side. In leave with, at this point, the Jewish population that Zelensky represents. And so you've got Protestants and Jews together, and you've got Orthodox Christians and Muslims together. What does that mean? I, you know, I don't have the answer, but I certainly have the question, and I'm looking at the events so that I can discern the extent to which an answer is going to be revealed to us. That is the voice of the international peace activist, renowned author, college professor, former presidential candidate, former congresswoman, and so much more. Thank you for being on the Ministry of Information. How can people stay online with you? Well, I'm on social media. I'm not on Facebook any longer because I got locked out of that account. So it let me know that that wasn't my Facebook account. It was Facebook's account 
that they allowed me to have. Even mm. though Facebook was developed with U.S. tax dollars, they can find me on X, which is formerly Twitter, and they can send me personal direct messages from my website, allthingscynthiamckinney.com. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, JR. All right. Talk to you soon. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Shout out to JR for that last interview. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show for pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to tonight's show. Also, be sure to like and follow First Voice Media on Facebook, where we post live stream video and other material that doesn't always make it to the radio, and you'll always find a link to the latest show there. Shout out to the Full Circle crew, Miss M, the Executive Director, and me, Freewell and Franklin. I have been your host tonight, and I'm also the Technical Director for this show, Full Circle. Thanks for listening, everyone, and remember, while you're out there, to please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. Up next is Lawanda Bahita. Good night, everyone. <laughs>